morning and welcome to High Point Church. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here. Great to be with you here uh, today, worshiping online, wherever you're worshiping from. Uh, let's start off with a question today. When is the last time you did not belong, right? When is the last time you didn't belong? Uh, either you were someplace you, you shouldn't have been, didn't need to be, you're with a, a group of people where you're just like, I do not fit in here. Let's be honest, if you're in middle school and in high school, this can also just be, this can be tough, right? Belonging, a place to belong. So when is the last time you didn't belong? Um, I can speak for Westerners. We go, uh, we go so far out of our way to, to ensure a sense of belonging, do we not? We change how we talk. We change how we dress. We change how we spend our money. We change what we do uh, for our free time. We change so much. Sometimes we're even unaware of it, where we just we adjust things because we desperately don't want to be on the outside. We want to be on the inside. We want a tribe of people, a group that we belong to, right? Every human person has an innate desire to belong. It's important to us. Uh, for our 10-year anniversary, Amy and I went to Paris, right? I realize, I know, it sounds like we're living the dream, right? <laughs> we, we, we went to Paris, and when you're a tourist, many times you kind of do, you know, what you can to try to blend in so you're not the eye-rolling tourist, you know, in, in the midst of a city. And, you know, we had the clothes down. You know, we, we looked the part. Um, we, had, we had ridden the subway and the train now enough times where... We weren't obnoxious, you know, like I wasn't the guy that, you know, has the map out and is, you know, looking at the stuff. I'm not asking for directions. We know where we're going. And I'm also speaking quietly, not as a Westerner, right? And I'm also not speaking French audibly enough for anybody to hear me butchering their wonderful, beautiful language, okay? And so we have our coffees and we're on the subway and we have, we've got it down that we are going to belong and assimilate and we look around and we are standing out like a sore thumb. And it all came down to one simple little thing and it was our coffee. We were drinking our coffee in a to-go cup and what's funny is we looked around, nobody was drinking coffee. I mean, when I say nobody, I mean nobody. Nobody was eating on the subway and no one was drinking on the subway. And come to find out, as we you know, talked to some of the locals, asked around, etc., you don't drink coffee on the go. In fact, coffee is to be, uh, it's to be cherished so much, right, that if you're going to take the time to drink this elixir from heaven, then you better take the time to enjoy it. And it's the kind of thing you drink coffee with a friend. You drink coffee at the cafe table while you're reading your book and enjoying life. You are drinking in life as you drink in your coffee. You don't drink coffee on the go. Oh, how, how gross, right? So you know what we did? In effort to belong, right? To assimilate, to, to be a part of the people. We stopped drinking our coffee on the go until our plane landed back in the States and then instantly I started drinking coffee on the go again. 
right? We don't like to not belong, right? We want to be a part, and to be part of a, a group. And as we transition into the message today, uh, uh, think about times where you, maybe you did belong or didn't belong. And when it comes to the church and when it comes to God and His Son, Jesus, there's no greater invitation to belong than the one that God has extended to the world through His Son, Jesus. It's an invitation to belong to the family of God. And God extends that invitation initially through Jesus. And then Jesus hands this mission to who? To the church. And the church is now the very means by which we extend invitation to be part of the family of God. And so when it comes to, when it comes to belonging, when it comes to mission, when it comes to community and a people, there is no community of people on this earth that should have a more compelling invitation to belong than the church. There's no people on earth that are holding a greater invitation to belong than the church. Nobody. To be part of the family of God. And yet, tragically and unfortunately, how many times have, has the church struggled with this very sense of belonging? In fact, even as you're watching, one of the reasons you might be watching online is because you've been hurt, right, by the community of people. Maybe it was intentional, maybe it was unintentional, right? And so the safety that you have behind a screen right now is, is what you feel that you need, right? Because you haven't sensed a measure of belonging. And I want to encourage you to take a step of faith again and, and to have a step of courage and to be part of a family, to be part of a church body. You need that. God has designed you for that. We're starting a new series today called, called Upon This Rock. And my hope, even by today, is that not only would you have a sense that you're called to belong, but that you would also own the mission of extending that invitation to others. Turn to Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Luke 15, verse 1 and 2. Now, the tax collectors and sinners, you got to love that. Let's just start, start there. Tax collectors have their own designation, right? It's not just sinners. It's tax collectors and sinners. That's rough. Okay. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to, to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. The indignity. This man is eating with sinners, with tax collectors. He's eating with those who were on the outside. He's eating with those who are marginalized. He's eating with those and spending time with those who, by their own decision-making, right, have, have, have wrecked their lives, have made terrible choices. They have. I mean, the, 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 there's, there's certainly a worthy conversation to be had about the, the decisions that some of these people are making. 
But Jesus is spending time with them and he, he's welcoming them, that the, the Bible says, and eating with them. And this is what has the Pharisees and teachers of the law up in just, a, you know, they're up in arms. And so Jesus, he responds in this moment by sharing three of the most prolific parables that we see in all of the Bible. It's the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. And you might be more familiar with it being called the prodigal son. Even those who don't go to church, know church, know the Bible, many times are familiar with the verbiage of the prodigal son. It's, it's, it's famous. And as we, we look at those parables... Many times we get lost in the parable, but we forget that Jesus is telling that parable and those three parables as a response to what is happening in verse 1 and 2. The church, the church folk, the religious folk, they've got this thing backwards. And they're missing those who God has called to belong the, the outsider being made the insider, and yet the religious folk are doing their very best to keep the outsider to remain an outsider. And they're grumbling about it. They're muttering about it. And you got to love this word. And I'm going to get into some, I'm going to be a word nerd in this sermon today. There's a couple things that we're going to talk about, definitions and what those mean. But this is an onomatopoeia, which means the word in the Greek is designed to sound like the thing it's describing. And so this word for mutter, right, is the word diagoguzo. Everybody at home, let's just say it together, okay? Diagoguzo. And it's supposed to sound, when you say it under your breath, like a swarm of humming bees. So if you say it like this, diagoguzo. And you can hear, you can hear the, the kind of grumble, right? And it sounds like the humming of a swarm of bees. If you've ever been around bees, we had a bee's nest literally get inside the walls of our basement at one point in time, a couple years ago. And you could hear the humming, right? And the walls was terrifying, right? <laughs> right, but you could hear it, and it, it had this just this humming, rumbling, bumbling sound. And that's what's happening in the crowd, right? The teachers, it's this grumbling, mumbling, muttering, and it sounds like a swarm of bees, diagoguzo. And that's where we find ourselves. And so Jesus, he tells this these three parables in response to the swarm of bees. Busy little bee. But I think a great question that we've got to ask ourselves when we read the text, text is why does this bother people so much? Like, in all honesty, what is it about Jesus welcoming tax collectors and sinners that, that just gets the Pharisees up in a, you know, a tizzy? And we get back into the language a little bit, and this is where our English language is a little bit limited in understanding some of the, the different ways things meant 
in ancient history or in New Testament times. But Jesus is welcoming sinners. The, 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 the person who's writing this book, his name is Luke, which is why we're in the book of Luke. He's a doctor. He, this guy's a note taker, right? This guy's got detail. And so he uses this word welcome. He uses it throughout the book of Luke, right? His own book. He writes about it in other situations. And yes, you know, there, there's this scenario where, you know, welcome this person into your home and blah, blah, blah. We get that. That makes sense. It's similar to how Jesus is being used in this text here. But then we see the exact same word used in Luke 2.25. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's the same word that Luke uses to describe Jesus welcoming those who were sinners. There's a guy named Simeon, and he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the kingdom of God. He's waiting for the Messiah. He's waiting for him. We see in Luke chapter 23, uh, verse 50, there's a man named Joseph, a member of the council. Uh, of good, uh, He's a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision. This is regarding Jesus' arrest, his crucifixion, etc., etc. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. So we see the same word welcoming and the same word waiting, and they're used, it's the same word. We have one word for this in English, right? And we would use that word like receive or welcome. In fact, your Bible might actually use the word receive. But because in English, when we hear the word receive, we think of it as a one-dimensional experience. Like you've got kids who are receiving, you know, Christmas presents at Christmas. And so we think of receiving as getting. Like just hold up my hands and let me get something. I've now received it, right? You receive something in the mail, right? I got that Christmas card. I got the birthday card. I received presents. Etc. 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 That's how we understand it, and so over time we changed that word in a translation so that we would feel it more. And so we have welcome over here, and we have wait over here, and yet it's actually the same word. The word welcome or to receive that Jesus is doing, he's receiving sinners and tax collectors. It means to welcome someone into your home with warmth, to receive them in your house with, with warmth. Jesus isn't at his home. In fact, we don't ever see Jesus ministering at his house, and yet he's treating this environment like his home, and he is inviting with warmth and exuberance and joy those, right, who need a place to belong. Jesus is extending an invitation. He's receiving them and also giving something in the same breath. It's, it's, a, it's an exchange that's happening. Come on in and also I'm coming to get you, right? I'm receiving you with warmth like it's his home. When a guest comes to your home, what do you do? You open the door. Hi, great to see you. 
right? It's great. You might shake hands. You might hug. You usher them into the kitchen oftentimes or the living room. Can I get you refreshment, right? What are you doing? You're, you're creating a sense of warmth that they feel value, that they feel worth. And this is what Jesus is doing when he receives tax collectors and sinners. And you know what? They're going from being an outsider to suddenly feeling like an insider. And the crowds loved Jesus for it. In the same breath, we have Joseph. We have Simeon who are waiting. The same word, it's to receive. But what is, in this kind of reception, what's happening? Right? The word is being used that, that they're looking with anticipation to receive. The kingdom of God, the Messiah, you know, Joseph had been waiting, Simeon had been waiting, but they're not just waiting like at the doctor's office. You know how you wait in the, you know, the, 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 the waiting room and you, you kind of just, you know, you're flipping through the magazine and you're just waiting for your name to be called, right? And your name finally gets called, you go up and you do your thing. But that's not the kind of waiting that we have here. We have a, we have a looking with anticipation. Right, if you have kids who have ever had friends come over to the house, to your house, or or if you've ever babysat and somebody's coming over, there's a, a strong tendency that that children or your children have gone to the window and they've just stood looking and waiting, and you'll you'll go to them and you'll say they're not going to be here for like another hour or even two. It doesn't matter. There's such anticipation. There's such expectation that they just. They stand at the window and they're looking and they're waiting. And this is the picture that we are supposed to get when we see Joseph and Simeon, but it's also the picture that you're to get with Jesus. When the Bible says that he receives or welcomes sinners, we are bringing these two words together because they mean the same thing. It's a, it's a welcoming with warmth into my home and also, I'm waiting with anticipation and I'm proactively looking for the guest to show up. I'm looking for the outsider that I might make them an insider. So you can see Jesus in this moment, is, it, it, it is not passive. His welcoming is not a passive scenario or situation. It's one where he is he's bringing people in and he's also looking for the opportunity. He's looking with anticipation. And now when you read the parables that follow, the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, does it not bring it to life and to light with so much greater power and significance when you understand that Jesus is going out of his way to draw people in and he does it with longing and he does it with looking and anticipation. Now the son, right, who's wandered from his father and has squandered his father's wealth, who's brought shame and dishonor to his home and to his family name. And when he finally decides I've had enough and maybe I can just be a slave or a servant in my father's house and he begins to make his way back home and the parable that Jesus tells is of the father 
who sees his son while a ways off, a far off way. And what does this father do? This father runs to his son. This father immediately greets his boy with warmth. And he brings him right back in. This son who had made himself an outsider, now the father is drawing back in as an insider. And this dad, by the way, isn't somehow just in the kitchen or somehow working or somehow busy. No, 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 no. He's on the front porch and he's scanning. He's looking. He's waiting with expectation that he might find the opportunity to see his son and bring him back in. This is what it means to welcome sinners This is God's mission, and it is his heart. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they weren't having it. Because number one, they interpreted the the, the value, somehow the value placed upon these people meant somehow that they weren't as valuable themselves. Problem number one. And problem number two People oftentimes get cranky, irritable, angry, and they feel convicted over what they know that they should be doing, but they aren't. Let's keep going. Because right now you've got some great new information maybe about this parable and you're learning some things, right? But what do you actually do with this? Because this is imperative, church, that we catch this. First Timothy, the, the writer Paul, he's, he's the most prolific apostle we see in the New Testament. He's writing to Timothy, and the early church has been established, and he's writing to Timothy to straighten some things out, and he's talking about church leadership. And he writes in chapter 3, He says, you know, there's some qualifications for leadership in the church. And he says that whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. The overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. You've got a list of things that are all character qualities. Outside of your ability to, to like teach the word, meaning you know what the word is and can help people discern what's right and wrong. But outside of that, every single thing here is about character. And then we get to this word hospitable, and once again, our language is a little bit limited, but anybody who, who in, in New Testament times heard the word hospitable or hospitality, they knew what that meant. And this was specifically warmth and kindness extended to strangers. And it was specifically in the context of your home. Meaning, if you're going to be a leader in the church, you must have a heart and a willingness to invite the outsider to be an insider. You must have a heart to to help the stranger find a sense of belonging. You're the person who's got to go out of their way to to that person who's the wreck, the guest. And yes, many times this meant a traveler 
right? This was oftentimes people that they didn't even know. They didn't know them. And yet the part of the qualification of you leading that's on par with you not being a lover of money or being faithful to your spouse is that you would have a spirit of hospitality, that you would be the one who owns this mission and welcomes the outsider, the stranger, the sinner into your midst, and you bring them onto the inside. That's pretty amazing. There's some weight to that. When we talk about church, first of all, we don't live in a culture that is the exact same as this. And we realize that. We know that. So you're not getting travelers who are, you know, walking down your street, knocking on your door and needing a place to stay, right? You're you're probably not encountering that all too much, right? That's not the culture that we live in. But that doesn't mean that there are not uh, areas where we look with anticipation, where we look for opportunity, where we're scanning and we're doing our best to draw people in with the warmth of Christ, with invitation. It doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities and moments, regular moments in front of us, but all too often we are too busy, we're unaware we're oblivious, or frankly, we like things as they are. We like the group that we have, like the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. We're very content with this safety, you know, body, the safety group. I've got this under control. I feel good about it. These people make me a bit uncomfortable. This makes me a little bit uneasy. Oh, and by the way, what you're asking me to do, it's inconvenient. It's frustrating. It's messy. And the answer to that is yes, it is all of those things. And yet it is the very mission of God that he has extended to the church that we would help people belong. Helping people belong is a messy job. And it is a job worth doing. And it is a job that you have been tasked to do. This is what it means to follow Christ. It's not the only thing. It means to follow Christ. But understand this. We cannot say that we are really, truly pursuing Jesus if we do not care or if we are dismissive to those who are on the outside being made and brought onto the inside. So what's that mean in the context of church? What does it mean as a body? Because one of the the most uh, significant areas, right, where the church comes to gather and worship is a Sunday morning or whatever night or day that your church gathers. And if you're not gathering as a church and as the body, I am, and once again, I'm putting my foot down and I'm saying, look, I love that you're engaging online. I love that you're here. But I also want you to hear this. You're not experiencing the true measure of what it means to be a part of a church if you are not in relationship with other people. You can't demonstrate hospitality outside the context of being around people. You've got to be around people, and I implore you 
and take a step back or for the first time into a church around you, a body of people that gathers. In the New Testament, you had, you, had, uh, you know, as the church was getting gathered, you had Jews who were gathering for worship and they were used to it, right? That's what they always did. And then all of a sudden you began to have Gentiles who were joining the fray right? And there's conflict that's happening, and there's all kinds of things that have to get worked out, and, and the apostles are writing letters, and they're straightening things out, and working on doctrine, and all the different things, right? Because it was messy. But understand, you have believers, or people who are growing and learning, and those who are immature, those who are not Christians, those who are not followers, but they're curious. They don't know what's going on, but they've heard, and they've seen, and you know, there, there's miracles that took place, and you know, that demon-possessed person, you know, got healed, or that person that was paralyzed is no longer paralyzed. They're walking around, and it's stirring up people's interest. And so you're having both the outsider and the insider, the, the seasoned faith follower, and the person who knows nothing are now gathering in the same place. And I have news for you. Churches in the West and churches around the world many times look and feel very similar. You've got people who, who grew up going to church and are familiar with, with the story of God, and you have people looking for a sense of belonging. They're looking to be a part of a tribe. They have questions. They're seeking. They're knocking on the door. And so you have these two things all happening. So when you gather as a church, it is incumbent upon us and incumbent upon you that we come ready for worship and also ready for mission. When the church gathers, the church gathers for worship, but the church also gathers for mission. And many times we choose one over the other. Many times we, 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 we get in one camp, right? And consequently, those who desire to belong, who are trying to find themselves growing or fitting in or having a people, they find themselves lost still. And rather than being welcomed in and help assimilate and help grow and experience discipleship and experience the life of Christ. And rather than us looking with anticipation for those who need belonging, many times we are happy with our church gathering being our little gathering. Many times as Christians, and I, I'm going to say this, we, you know, at our church at High Point, we have a greeting team, right? And meaning we've We've trained people, and they literally stand at the front door, and they're trained to greet, right? As people are walking in, they, they greet the church that's a member and part of the church, but also they're greeting new people that are walking in. But you need to hear this. There is a monumental difference between a church that greets and a church that welcomes. Many times the church settles for being a, a greeting church rather than a welcoming church. And to welcome, remember, it's, to, it's, it's with warmth. It's bringing somebody into your home. You were to treat this like your house. And so today, here's what I invite you to do. When you gather as the church, whether it's a life group, right? Whether it's a small group, 
whether it's you and five or six other guys, you know, or people at, at, at a restaurant and you're gathering, right, together, own it, right? Own your house. In other words, treat your church, your gathering, like you would your home because that's what it means to welcome. It's like you're inviting somebody into your home. You would never allow somebody to walk through the front doors of your house. Meander through the living room and the kitchen, sit down, and you haven't taken the time to talk to them in any kind of meaningful way. You wouldn't even settle, by the way. Most people would not settle for just shaking somebody that's brand new at the front door of your home. And then that being it, no, you would host them. You would engage in meaningful relationship in such a way that they feel valued in your home, that they don't feel like an outsider or someone intruding in your midst, that they feel valued, that they feel special, that they feel welcome. And so you get to go out of your way and say to yourself, this is my house. And it doesn't matter that I'm on the greeting team or not on the greeting team because the greeting team and the people who have been trained to do such a thing in a church service, they're there just to kind of shake hands and point directions and the restrooms are this way. And great to have you here. Have a great Sunday. It is the church. It is the body of people that must create a culture that welcomes people. This is my house. And I recognize that you are new here. And because I'm here to worship and I love God, but I also love my neighbor and I love that stranger in my midst. And like Jesus who sat and ate with tax collectors and sinners, I don't know the condition of your life, but I'm gonna do everything I can to help you become somebody who's on the outside, who's now on the inside. You belong here. You belong here. I'm so happy that you're here. You look for meaningful points of conversation. Far be it from you to allow somebody to walk into your house and to not be greeted by you, to not have meaningful interaction with you, to not have meaningful relationship in any way, shape, or form. I believe that actually grieves the heart of God. Secondly, well, actually, let me read this from Peter, right? Peter says, to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, without the murmuring of the swarm of bees, right, that we talked about at the beginning, what I'm referring to in all of these moments, it ruffles people's feathers. And we think to ourselves, well, that's not my personality. I don't care if it's your personality. The Bible has nothing to say about qualifications, right, regarding personality, nor does Jesus qualify it when he's sitting with tax collectors and sinners. You engaging in meaningful conversation and helping people belong is not about personality. It is about priority. I'm not saying that it's always easy, and I'm not saying that it isn't uncomfortable. I'm not saying that it isn't messy. It's all of those things. And it is also our joy and privilege to get to do it. You don't have to, you get to. When we gather as a church, we come ready to worship 
and we come ready for mission. And that means that even though I'm talking to my friends and I'm talking to people that I know and I'm talking to my church, I am doing so with one eye, right? Always looking for the person who has a, has a desire to belong, the outsider. Because once again, like Simeon and Joseph, what were they doing? They were looking with anticipation. They're looking with expectation to receive. And so on Sundays and in my life group and in my moments of gathering, there is always a measure of warmth being extended, right, to those who are new and also a looking, a swiveling for eyes on somebody that's here for the very first time. And that means I shut a conversation down with a person who's been here for 1,900 years, right, that I know, even though I love to see them and I'm happy to talk to them about it, I can hit pause on that because once again, I'm here for worship, but I'm also here for mission. And God is giving me mission. It's right in front of my face. And that means I walk away knowing that I can walk back, but I'm going to create a moment of meaning and value and belonging to the person that's new. That's part of the mission. And then thirdly today, I, I want to say this. You've got to own your house, right? You've got to look with anticipation for opportunity. And then thirdly, you're going to have to walk in humility. Anybody who engages in God's mission in this way, and you're trying to demonstrate or lead with, with the spirit of of reception, of welcoming, of, 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 of expectation and anticipation. It means that you're going to have to walk in humility because you're going to stumble and bumble in trying to talk to people and engage with people and minister to folks. You're going to stick your foot in your mouth at times. You're going to see somebody that you actually met two weeks ago and you forgot that you met them two weeks ago and you forgot their name. That's going to happen. That's part of the mission though, right? It's, it's a willingness to humble oneself and be able to say, you know what? I'm sorry. I, I, I do. I apologize. I'm so happy that you're here. I'm sorry I forgot your name. And you get to do that. You get to humble yourself. You don't act and pretend like, oh, you know, if, oh, I don't, think, I don't think we actually met or this or that. Like, give me a break. No, you walk in humility and you engage in relationship, and that means you're going to make mistakes. I have on my phone, I don't have it handy, but I have an app on my phone. Well, if you have an iPhone, it's the Notes app. And I pull up a Notes app, and when I have a conversation with somebody that's new, I try to write down, not like right in front of them, but when I walk away and have a second, I write down a couple things. I write their name down, and I write down a few things of note regarding the conversation so that if I see them again, I can pull that up and it reminds me because I know myself. I know that it's easy to forget. I know that life is busy, but I also know that the mission of God to help people belong and to experience value and worth, it's so important. Jesus did this. And if Jesus is doing this, I should be doing this. And if I know my human weakness, I'm going to do everything I can to try to overcome it 
by the spirit and grace of God. That way, when I go and I say, hi, it's great to see you again. How's your son doing? He just, you know, I know if I remember right from a few weeks ago, aren't they, they just went to college. It's their, their first semester, right? Oh my gosh, thank you for remembering. Yes. And now what people feel like what? They feel valued. They feel like they're an outsider being made an insider. They feel a sense of belonging, the loving kindness, the warmth of being brought into the house of God. And this is how we demonstrate the spirit that Jesus walks in, the one that welcomes tax collectors, the sinner, the marginalized, the outsider, the stranger, the person longing to belong. This is what we get to do. And I'm honestly, as your pastor, I'm not really recommending that you do it. I'm not suggesting that you do it. I'm telling you, you need to live this way because this is God's mission. Can it look a little bit different for you? Yes. Is it going to be fleshed out differently than me? Also, yes. But there is no possible way that we can, that we can get around looking with anticipation for those who need to belong and going out of our way to make them feel a part of God's house and God's kingdom. We can't, we cannot get away from it. This is the heartbeat of Christ. And it's what we get to do. It's our privilege and it is our joy. Father, thank you in this moment, Lord, that you sent your son Jesus first and foremost to die for the sins caught of, of humanity, of us. Lord, we were outsiders. We were the strangers. Lord, we were the sinners. We were the tax collectors. God, maybe we still are, depending on where we are watching and just the condition of our heart and soul. But God, we thank you today that you, by your grace and your mercy, have extended invitation to be part of the family of God. And if you are sitting here today and you, you haven't put your faith in Jesus, but you're, you're hearing this invitation that regardless of the condition of your life, that you can actually be part of God's family, then today is your day. Literally, to collectively, in this moment, let's pray together. Say, Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the life that you're living. Thank you for making me part of your home and part of your family today I receive it, and I thank you that I belong. And everyone else that's watching, I pray specifically for you right now. I pray for us. I pray for myself that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear, that we would be the church gathered, ready for worship and ready for mission. Help us extend that invitation to belong. God, maybe it's in our small groups and life groups, the cafe, the book club, the gym. Maybe it's Sunday morning service. God, wherever we go and wherever we gather as the body of Christ, let us extend that invitation to belong. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen, church. Great to be here with you today. Thankful for you.
Thank you for the mission that we get to be on together. See you right here next week.